Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Running the 615 Podcast. This is your host, Drew Jones. You are listening to episode 23. Our guest today is Heidi Huerta. I met Heidi in the summer of 2008 at one of the very first East Nasty Wednesday Night Runs, and we have been friends ever since. Heidi is a very caring and giving person. In this episode, we talk all about her running journey. We discuss a lot of topics in this episode. We talk about Heidi playing sports growing up. We talk about how running became a part of her life. We talk about races that she's run in. We talk about working for a race management company. We talk about yoga. We talk about Nashville. And we talk about music. There are not many topics that we don't talk about in this episode. When I first started this podcast, my goal was to interview interesting people who have a story to tell, and Heidi certainly fits that criteria. She is obviously a runner and still very much enjoys it, but she has done a lot with running through things such as race management, leading training groups, using running as charity work and a way to give back, becoming a yoga instructor and teaching runners the benefits, and finding ways to promote the community aspect of running that she loves so much. One other trait about Heidi that she has is she is very quick to laugh. As you can imagine from someone who's been running their mouth my entire life, I learned that about Heidi real quick, and I've been talking trash with her ever since. Like so many guests here on Running the 615, it was really fun to sit down and chat with Heidi and hear more about her story. I certainly hope you enjoy it as well. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast. I know I say that all the time, but I truly mean it. We are now over a year into this and 23 episodes deep, and it has been so fun interviewing people, learning more about them, and then putting it out there for you to listen to while you're on your run, walk, or drive. There are several more interviews in the works, and our first Running the 615 contest is happening soon, so stay tuned for that. But for now, it's episode 23, runner, yoga instructor, friend, and huge Rick Springfield fan, Heidi Huerta. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Running the 615 Podcast. This is Drew Jones. I'm sitting across from my friend, Heidi Huerta. Heidi, it is great to see you. Always good to see you, Drew. Thanks for being here. We are... uh, off and running on this podcast in the new year, 2021. A lot of things I want to cover, Heidi. I've known you for over 10 years and you've got a really cool background, not only in running in life. So we're going to kind of go all over the place with your approval, of course. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to start with running though. This is called running the 615. So if it's okay with you, uh, tell me how running first became a part of your life. When was running the actual sport of running? When did that start? It started for me October 2004, and I did not look at it as, okay, let me start the sport of running. It was more of a social uh, start for me. I'm from Pensacola, Florida, and I had moved back from Pensacola after college and just was looking for a social outlet, and I heard these friends were running with this running group called McGuire's Irish Pub Runners. This and is when you, moved, you said this you moved, is in back, Pensac- moved yeah. back to Pensacola mm-hmm. post-college, got it. Yep, college. I uh, graduated 91, was up there until 95 and moved back to Pensacola. So this wasn't until 2004. Gotcha. So, And I've always been active as far as swimming and just fitness in general, but never running. Right. Um, I wasn't a quote runner. 
So I met my friends at McGuire's Tuesday night and I was terrified because I'm competitive. I'm like, I'm slow. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to run. And I just started running and it was fun because it became that social outlet. I was talking to people. We ran along the bayfront, which was beautiful to see the water. And at the end of the run, I survived. But the biggest social thing is we would go into McGuire's Irish Pub and and get together and start talking and having fun. So that became my weekly thing on Tuesdays. So really, that's what started it. And it was I had the physical ability and then realizing, gosh, uh, this is kind of fun. I, I can run. And yeah, so that started my interest in the sport. You do remember after only doing it for a short while, though, that you got to where you you liked the act of running. Oh, like I loved it. I right. loved it. And I had always heard about a runner's high, and yeah. I'd never experienced that. I experienced a swimmer's high where I felt like I was breathing underwater, but never with running. And so, you know, I would go Tuesday nights, and that expanded into, let's meet Wednesday nights on the beach and run. And then Monday nights with Civil Quarter Milers. So all these running groups that we had, we became friends. So we wanted to run more together. And it was through that consistency and the distance that I was able to finally reach that runner's high where I was like, wow, this is what it feels like. I'm not exerting myself. And I've gone over three miles now. Right. Um, so yeah, it just it it progressed, and I loved the feeling, and I loved the people I was with. They were very encouraging. Yeah. So before I don't, uh, we're gonna jump back way back, and then we're gonna get it right back to yeah. running. But I don't want to get too far away. You were born overseas, born in Taiwan. Yes. yes. Tell me a little bit about about you know the first you know part of your life and how you got to the United States. I was, as I would always say when I was little, I was made in Taiwan. Made in Taiwan. Not just born in Taiwan. I confirmed. I was made in Taiwan. (laughs) Made there. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So my dad was in the Navy. Both my parents are from Bolivia, South America. And my father had gone to college in uh, Texas at Trinity University. And when he left Trinity, he went back to Bolivia. They're both from a city called Cochabamba, which is... uh, more central. It's, I would equate it to Arizona. Gotcha. And, and ironically, he was an exchange student in high school in Arizona, but he loved the, the state so much and decided to join the U.S. Navy, which he was able to. Um, this was, gosh, 66. My okay. sister was born in 66 in San Diego, which was a Navy base. But I was born in 1969 during the Vietnam War. So November 69, we were in Taiwan and we stayed there for a little while afterwards. And then he was coming back to the States, but we made a pit stop in Bolivia to visit my grandparents. Oh, cool. Um, so I, yeah, I, my passport is me sitting on my mom's lap and we went to Maryland very shortly, but from there we moved to Pensacola. So I was about a year and a half when we moved to Pensacola. And then Pensacola was home. That to me, I consider home. Yeah. I graduated from high school there and my formative years were there so that I have most of my memories there. Yes. Awesome. So Pensacola, but then you went to college in New York. Yes. And because, because we are friends, I know that you were an athlete in college. Again, you didn't get started like running until after it, but you played basketball and tennis in college. So tell me about just the athletic part of your uh, childhood college and, and, you know, growing that competitive spirit that you found. I have always been, and you know, part of my personality, I'm very curious. So I ask people questions. I'll talk to anybody. Well, as a little kid, that got me in trouble a lot, but that's just part of my personality. No holds barred there. But I uh, switched schools when I was in fourth grade. And this is my earliest memory of when athletics was really something I wanted to do. And not knowing anybody, my parents are like, well, why don't you play basketball? I had never played basketball. 
I was like, okay, I'll try it. And I was so shy. I was so shy. And I was terrified that first day. And I remember my coach threw the ball at me. I wasn't paying attention. It hit me in the nose. And I just started crying, not because it hurt, but because my eyes were watering. But I remember that I have to pay attention to the ball. Well, I ended up loving basketball, was very aggressive, um, uh, and just excelled at it. And from fourth grade through eighth grade, I was the center, just always on my knees. We had jump balls all the time, which is different, I think, now. But I I enjoyed it. So then going into high school, um, I didn't play but my first year. And then I just you know, life changes and I ended up swimming and and whatnot. So I've, with that, I've just always been active. And um, even going back to high school at my sophomore year, I was watching an HBO special of Mo Connolly, who is a Wimbledon champion, and she learned to play tennis. She made her own racket and hit it against the garage door. Well, I had a racket and I had a ball. So I hit it against our townhouse. And uh, that became my interest in tennis. And then I started taking tennis lessons. And just again, with my coordination and athletic athleticism and running, I did well in in tennis. So when I went to college, again, social, it's so hindsight, I didn't consciously say, I want to be social. I want to play basketball. I want to play tennis. I just know I loved both sports. And I was terrified to try out for the tennis team. And made it and played all four years and actually did really well. It, it was a great part of my, my college experience. Right. I went to a small all-women's college, so they're all girls and just about 1,200 of us total. Good experience, though, in your final year on the tennis team uh, because you uh, sent me an email with a little bit of a bio. You won MVP of the tennis team in college. I did. Yeah. I did. And Well, that doesn't happen by accident. I mean, no. like that's, that's a quite an honor for something that you – kind of decided to do once you got there, but it shows, again, the athleticism you had and just drive to be successful. And, and it was, yes, it was an honor and it was a shock and surprise at our awards banquet because banquet because as captain of the tennis team, I was more focused on the gift we were giving our coach. Little did I know when I handed her the gift, she was giving me the MVP award. Um, but I just loved cheering on my, my team, you know, whenever we had our matches and nobody wants to be alone and the support. So, um, I've, I've just loved it. So I guess that considered that qualified me to be MVP, but I was very honored. Very yeah, honored. sweet. Well, that's, that's probably going to be a growing theme I can gather here <laughs> in this interview is your just social, um, social kind of pursuit in the community that comes from it. And then, of course, um, success thereafter. So let's jump back into running. You've been mm-hmm. running for a long time. Running has kind of woven in and out of your life for a while now, not only just something that you do, but also some things that you've done with, um, you know, philanthropy and, and being involved in race management. We'll get to that. <laughs> what is it about running that you feel like has, has kept you doing it now for, you know, almost 20 years? It's funny. It's evolved and it's amazing to think that it's 20 years, uh, because it seems like just yesterday or maybe a few years ago that I started, but, um, I, I will say, yes, I was always fast basketball. I was quick. And so distance for me was never a consideration. And I'll go back to one of the Maguire's days very early on. My friends, Mary and Bruce, who were uh, Ironman uh, marathoners and 
they were experienced runners. And I was half listening to our conversation at McGuire's and they had just registered for the New York City Marathon Lottery. And Mary, who has been an inspiration for me from the beginning, she said, Heidi, why don't you try you know, the New York City Marathon Lottery? And I remember just gasping and seeing in my eyes 26.2 right. and fear. And I'm like, Mary, I've run four miles once. And that was last <laughs> week. She goes, well, sign up for the lottery. A and- to Z yeah. right there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She says, sign up. If you get in, you can do the training. And if it doesn't work out, then don't do it. So I said, foolproof. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, but when the, on the application, it asked for your half marathon time and I had never done a half marathon, obviously, but, uh, I coincidentally, or as fate would have it, I was going to a wedding to a friend of mine in New York from college, my tennis teammate. And that Sunday there was a marathon in New York city, central park. The junior league of New York was hosting the first mother's day uh, half marathon, half marathon. Gotcha. Half yeah. marathon. So yeah. I registered yeah. and I ran it. And that to date is still my best marathon time because I, I half marathon time because ignorance is bliss. But anyway, I got into the, the lottery of New York city trained, had great training and was injured two weeks out. Um, from the actual race day, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Two weeks out, I was tapering. And so on a McGuire's night, I thought, you know, I've been doing really well. I ran my last 12 miler let me see how fast I can run, which I was told is called striding out. And after I finished my three and a half mile run, I couldn't walk. I was limping and I thought I just pulled something. And so I iced it and I forced tapered and I was able to start the race on race day, still nervous. My ankle left ankle was tender. And at half point, my IT bands had locked up and I, but I was going to finish. My whole family had come up, friends had come up and I had to walk the second half, but I finished seven hours, 38 minutes and 25 seconds later, (laughs) but I finished. So that's 2005? 2005. It was the day after my 36th birthday. So that marathon weekend, when I lived in New York, I would hear about this marathon. Right. Didn't know what it was. I just knew it was around my birthday. So that um, was special for me. It was my 36th birthday and um, I finished and I was injured. Two weeks later, I found out I had an official stress fracture, which I probably caused it during the race. Um, But yeah, I just, but I didn't want to stop. They, you know, sometimes they say either you, you're one and done or you want to continue. And what I loved about it was the camaraderie, mm-hmm. the physical feeling of it. I loved that when you get into that base of you, a runner's high, you can continue to run. And then the accomplishment of like, I ran 13.1, I ran 13.2. I just ran 18. I've never done all these firsts. Yeah. And then you just, it just evolves into other things. So I continued running. I ran marathons, half marathons, and, and we can go back and forth, but moving to, to Nashville, that was what I was looking for was running. But it has evolved into running for the accomplishment, but also running to give back and how that can change. It changed my life. And I want to give those others who have not done it, those experiences of firsts. Right. And, and the, I relish in that. It's not a first for me, but I love seeing that, um, First feeling for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So New York City Marathon was my first as well. I've talked about that a couple of times. 2007 was my first. Um, I'd run multiple half marathons before that, and it was still it was extremely difficult from what I would label it. I mean, I don't remember feeling any form of not ready for the race, but you know, there's a phrase that everyone knows when it comes to the marathon called hitting the wall. And Mm. there is no more accurate statement of what I experienced. I think at mile 20, 21 in that race. And 
walked around the last kind of hour of it. But to your point, it was so worth the experience of running New York City Marathon again since then, now twice. That is the granddaddy of them all, as far as I'm concerned. Just that race and how big it is and how much the city embraces it. And it is just marathon it is just race experience on steroids it's as big as it gets but super cool to be in the middle of it right and i would agree yeah. i mean i had never experienced a marathon so yeah, it was same. like so okay a, yeah, what was this sensory overload is is, is what i what and i there remember was, there was a lot of uh for me too i the beauty of it was having lived, I worked in New York city for several years. My brother was living in Williamsburg. He was up there. So I had a connection to the city other than just, it's a cool city mm-hmm. and running it and having to walk the second half. It was such a beautiful uh, experience to experience the Bronx that I never would have before or Harlem or the different areas. And I too went back and had done a, I can't even remember how many marathons in between or have. So I was more of a seasoned runner, but I consciously for my 40th birthday wanted to run the New York City Marathon and deferred from the year before because I had gotten in. And however, even though being seasoned now, when I went to run, I actually was fearful, like, wait a minute, did I really not do well in the race because I was a newbie or I was injured? Or is this really, am I out of my league here? Right. It was, and to this date, that race in 2009 is my favorite because I did well. I never walked. I felt amazing throughout the whole time. I had a great training. Christopher McClintock, who is in, um, he was a team and training coach and has personal best fitness, but he trained me for that race. And I just felt incredible. And I finished, um, I, my time was happy. It was four hours and 55 minutes and yeah. never, it just was, um, beautiful. I, and I will digress because I'm, I, it's taking me into the moment of, I love numbers and my birthday, my 40th birthday was four days later, November 5th, 2009. My bib number was five zero four zero eight. So five times eight on the outside equaled the forty that was in the middle. Yeah. And on your 40th and it was the fortieth running of the New York City Marathon. Oh man. Yeah. Well that's that's meant to <laughs> so, be. So running it, uh, when I was in Williamsburg the first time, that's when I started to cry. I'm like, my leg hurts. I'm scared. I saw my brother and my mom. They were worried for me. Well, this time I saw them. They were there. They I saw them before they saw me. And they're like, are you okay? I said, I am awesome. I feel great. And my brother's like, everybody, this is my sister. And I just kept running. And then I I was running faster than they anticipated. So I missed them at a couple of checkpoints. Um, But at the very end, you know, my legs are like jello, but I still felt great. It was probably mile 25-ish by Central Park. Mm -hmm. And my brother caught up with me and he he grabbed me and I said, don't let go because I would have fallen over, but he hugged me so hard and it just took me to the finish line. So yes, agreed. It is an incredible race. The people are amazing. The city comes out and cheers and yeah. It's a huge deal. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. That, anyway. that kind of memory will keep you, keep so it's you running me. forever. Yeah. 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 So we, we, we talked just a little bit about it, but you have been in race management with Heroes to Recovery. Um, you've done a lot of research with your running. I know with stuff like hydration, nutrition, you, you kind of pay attention to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Just talk a little bit about being kind of on the race management side, kind of being behind a race and then 
you know, any, any tips you feel like you've picked up along the way when it comes to nutrition, hydration that have just been like good learning experiences that you've carried on with running? That's a, that's a loaded question there. No, and, it, no and, and I'm following my first race. I will say <clears throat> going back to the first marathon is I had friends who were again, experienced and I learned so much about when I should eat, what I should eat. I knew my body two hours before. So a lot of that I knew it was interesting to see how my fueling would affect my body. You could Mm -hmm. see it straight on. Um, So it's always a learning curve. You know, I learned the bad things as well. I had bad experiences as well. But I want to go into how I ended up at Heroes in Recovery. Right. Um, So Heroes in Recovery is a was unfortunately no longer exists, but it was a movement focused on breaking the stigma associated with substance use and mental health issues. And Lee Pepper was my boss and amazing man who thought, okay, let if in recovery, if you're not drinking or if you're not using substances, what else can you do? And truth is you can do anything you want, anything is possible. So why not be active? Why not run? So they hosted 6K run walk events to raise awareness, to break the stigma. Like this is recovery, have people share their stories because we're all recovering from something. And to be able to relate to that, the hope is that someone will find the strength to ask for help and also to celebrate those who have found recovery. So in my community and volunteering, this is, this is important because East Nasty. We'll go into East Nasty. Wearing the sweatshirt yes, right I now. Am. Awesome <laughs> throwback. We, we, are, we are gonna get there, but yes, East Nasty so Mark was a Miller, part of it. Godfather of East Nasty. Guest number two <laughs> running the six one five. Love them with all my heart. Picked yeah. up on my heart of service and love to love of volunteerism. Asked me one time, he goes, Heidi, what do you think about training these women for this race? And I didn't know what either was. And I said, oh, sure, I'll do a couch to 6K. Well, it turns out the women were amazing women who were going through substance use treatment at the Next Door, which is a local nonprofit and a treatment facility in Nashville. And it is for women who are uh, going through substance use and co-occurring disorders, so mental health and the substance. So I would train the women at the Next Door, the clients at the, or I'd say the clients at the Next Door for the Heroes in Recovery 6K race. Mm-hmm. And it's a 6K, not a 5K, because that extra kilometer, that extra distance was symbolic of the extra effort it takes to stay clean and sober every day. So I would meet uh, the women at the next door. I invited my East Nasty friends, my girlfriends to train three days a week, 6 a.m. in the morning on Mondays, Wednesdays, and then on Saturdays. But these women are going through a lot during the week, a heavy program. They're like, I'm not running. So a lot of them would smoke before we started. <laughs> and it was they, a lot of East Nasty runners would smoke after we finished when we were yes, back exact. in the early days. Um, but yes, so it was, it was yes, me walking and running with them in the program that we use for the Couch to 5K at East Nasty. The resiliency and the determination of the women at the next door, and this happened for several years. It was consistent of the. They, they were going to do it. They, they would give me a hard time, but they did it and they finished it. And that to me was another perspective, another learning of what running can be. Right. Um, so that evolved into um, volunteerism. And then Stephanie Hanscom, who a former, well, she's from Nashville, but a former runner and Nashvillian had 
reached out to me. She was the race director for the Heroes 6K, the very first one. And she said, Heidi, I I know you work with the women at the next door. What do you think about this position with Heroes in Recovery? It was in the marketing department as a community manager, managing the movement to share the stories of recovery, which also, so all to answer that is that involved being at the every single race that we hosted, which we would host them across the country. And it kept growing every year. I think our old Last year, we were at least 10 races, 10 locations. And so with that, we would travel and volunteer and... Set up race courses, set all up, of it. Yes, set up race courses, set up the water, get the volunteers, get the vendors. Um, I would manage our booth. And it, there is so much, That's as you know, there is so much that mm. goes behind it. And the planning ahead in multiple races, our race directors were phenomenal because they are juggling not just one day, but multiple. And that's that's hard. Um, so logistically, much- the bigger the race, the more you're planning ahead of it, Yep. getting timing equipment, making sure all the runners have their proper, you know, bibs. Or do or we have the bibs? Have we ordered them? Are yeah. they, are they picking up their items? Are the, yeah. Is the race time management there? Who are we going to use? These are cities we had never even set foot in some of them. Right. Um, and doing that blindly. It takes a lot to get from signing up on a, um, website running for a race to the race actually happening. And exactly. what I've found over the years too, is if a race says it's starting at eight o'clock, if the race does go off at eight o'clock, you are participating in a very, very efficiently run race because mm-hmm. it's, it's just amazing. All the things that have to align in order for the race to start on that day at that time with thousands of people standing in a street, getting ready to go. And like I will say we a were, a lot has to come together. We were very good about that. I mean, it went off with the singing of the national anthem and, um, yeah, former East nasties. Let's see. So it was Stephanie Hanscom and then Christina Young came on board and uh, Sarah Shearer came on and then... Running 615 artist, yes, Sarah Shearer. Yes, yes awesome. so Sarah. And then Stephanie... has got a lot of race experience too. She's done, yep. So. And then Stephanie Spann was uh, was the last oh, race cup, director. AKA Cupcake. Cupcake. Worked with her. Fleecy, you know Cupcake. Her, She's meticulous. Yeah. But I would say all three of them were always great in managing the stress. And and we always had compliments about the race. I mean, nothing is perfect in what is, but they... They did. I will say that they all, Excellent all of them job, did an right. amazing job, and it, it impacts everyone. So, that philanthropy, we I was able to connect with them, other organizations who also it's advocacy for uh, recovery. Mm-hmm. The Heron Project, um, they still exist. Chris Heron was a former NBA basketball star who lost everything to his heroin addiction, but is over ten years clean and has created the the Heron Project movement in education. And much like team and training, they, the the team Heron Project, they run races and fundraise for the, the movement. So I did that. I actually ran the New York City Half Marathon, which was another experience because completely different course, but I raised funds in support of the Heron Project. Right. One of our benefiting charities for the Heroes in 6K race in Louisville, Colorado, Louisville, We are Louisville, Kentucky. It's Louisville, Colorado. Right. We played Uh, Louisville High School in Ohio. And it's pronounced Louisville, too. Depending on where you are, different pronunciation. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, The Phoenix uh, is another nonprofit that is sober-focused. Scott Strode was a CNN hero Mm -hmm. and started the Phoenix, which is creating a sober, active community. And it started with CrossFit, but expanded out. So running. Um, that was, I've joined with them before, run many Ragnar relays with them on our team to focus rec- on recovery. And 
So all of that point being is just, it becomes so much more. It's like when right. I, you're running for a purpose, either that purpose is for yourself, but when you give back, it becomes, it, it becomes a, a whole nother ball game. Yeah. yeah. So you have really been able to not only experience by putting on the races, but literally see with your own eyes, people who have been in some bad places, found running attached to that it's and life use running to bring them out of the darkness yep. and, and kind of use this thing that they enjoy and like doing and ultimately is a good thing for them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Tons of examples. Absolutely. Circle back real quick on the nutrition hydration oh, side. Yes. What's, what's just, I know you're, 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 you're a healthy person and we're, we're going to get to the next step of your healthy lifestyle yoga in a minute, but <laughs> on the nutrition, um, just kind of hydration part, what's some things you just feel like are ultimate good rules of thumb when it comes to A great to that? balance of Carbs, uh, complex carbs, the protein, and of course the hydration and then the fiber. That for me was always my focus, My, especially when I'm going into a long run, whether it's a training run or not. Um, and I would eat two hours before a race and have the, my, my go-to was half a white bagel with peanut butter and a banana. Perfect. Yep. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying there as far as any big pre-race for a half, half or full, but I think a lot of runners, especially people who are running distances don't realize that a, you need something in your tank before you start B when you do start running, because when you're running a half marathon for 13 miles or marathon for 26 miles, the, the second you start, you are lighting a flame underneath that tank Mm -hmm. of energy you have. And the farther you run or the faster you run, you can burn through a storage of energy fairly quickly and that's why gels electrolytes that's why that stuff exists and it's designed to help and you absolutely need it when you're you know i I really feel like any race that you're going to be racing over an hour you've got to start putting stuff in your system race nutrition and I, i was so fortunate to have so many talented competitive runners trained me in my first experience and a friend of mine who was in the, he was in the army and competitive Ironman. He helped train me and I didn't know anything better. He said, okay, every 45 minutes and Mary, my friend, Mary Asmar, she also was like every 45 minutes, it doesn't matter how you feel. If you think you're okay, you take nutrition and I can take a gel, not just, yes, I started with goo and then that was when it was new. Uh, then evolving into uh, my ultimate one is cliff shot blocks because right. it doesn't upset my stomach. The gels aren't sticky. and But still, to this day, every 45 minutes. And also that helped me physically. But right. it's a mental thing like, okay, let me focus on that. And it, it would give me something every to focus on. Every 45 minutes you get to a little bit of food. And then, of course, yep. you know, water or some kind of oh, electrolytes of in between. Yep. You got to start early. That's another thing yes. people don't realize. If you wait to drink until you're thirsty, you're going to be in trouble. Um, Christopher McClintock. Again, distance running. Yes. Christopher McClintock. Drink early and often. Boom. Love it. <laughs> uh, so real quick on the East Nasty side, you yes. were you were involved in East Nasty early on. We talked about this before we started recording. Um, started in the summer. I, the first one I ran was in July. It had been going on, I think it was its fourth week there. And there was roughly about eight or 10 of us, you being one of them. You even started a little bit before then. But that was, you experienced something with East Nasty with the community and getting you back and running much like you did in Pensacola. And that was how mm-hmm. it got going mm-hmm. here in Music City. Yeah, when I moved to Nashville, I even researched ahead of time because it, running was still new for me, but I had such accomplishments because of the camaraderie at McGuire's and and just the social, the fun. So when I moved here, I knew no one. 
not a soul. I moved, I transferred, fortunately was able to transfer through work, wanted change in my life. Nashville, I didn't even think of country music. I just knew that there was a theme park at one time, which Opryland no longer exists. But um, so when I came here, I didn't know anybody. And I looked online ahead of time and saw the Nashville Striders Mm -hmm. existed. So I started volunteering with the Striders. But there was no running club per se, Um, like not like McGuire's. I would even go to Fleet Feet in Brentwood and Jill Monjean was the owner at that time and had mentioned something about my running club and they were going to try and go to the location, I think it was cross corner bar or something, but never did that. But I started running with them and it wasn't the same, but at least I had people to run with. And it wasn't until I was in Shelby park, I saw posted on the Striders message board, uh, that they were meeting. And that's when Mark Miller was there and said, Hey guys, we're going to be running on Wednesday evenings, in East Nashville. It could have been Timbuktu. I didn't know where it was, but it turns out it was on, on 11th. And so I met up with people and yeah, we just started running. There were 10 of us and I thoroughly enjoyed the run itself. I wasn't used to Hills and that was new for me. Um, but most of all at the end, we got together at three crow bar and, um, awesome. Just hung out. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've it's mentioned this before, but East Nasty became big enough, quick enough. I think it took kind of six months before it really started going. But then after that, it was, I would be driving to run East Nasty and the running part of it was the furthest thing from my mind. I was wearing running clothes. (laughs) I was driving oftentimes like I had a Gatorade cooler in my backseat that I was bringing for like hydration. And I didn't even think about the one. I was like, yeah, we'll get there. We'll run. But it's three crow afterwards. It's social hour. And I I would schedule everything around those Wednesday nights. There was no way I was going to miss it. Right. And then, you know, when the training started with uh, country music, half marathon, full marathon, that was pretty good, too. And, you know, we haven't got to experience East Nasty now in almost a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been a kind of uh, a calamity of things that have occurred with the tornado first and then a pandemic. But um, I'm really excited about an East Nasty run happening sometime in our future. It better be in 2021. I mean, it's, uh, I feel like it's, <laughs> it's coming, but it's a neat thing that East Nasty remains and, and gets a pretty uh, large amount of participation when it is in full swing. So yep. something to be looking and forward evolves. to. It yeah. evolves, yeah. you know, as, as we all do. So we, we mentioned a little bit, yoga is a big part of your life. Mm-hmm. Heidi. You, are, you, you have practiced yoga for a long time, but you've also uh, become a certified instructor, 500 hours, right? That's, Correct. That's, uh, that makes you uh, what, what I call an expert in yoga. Thank Talk you. a little bit about yoga and just what it has done for your life, why you enjoy it so much, and then anything that you tie you know, yoga into running as well, because I know, especially for you, those two definitely um, are intertwined. Yes. So I will have to go back to my first experience with yoga, always being open to something athletic. My friend in Pensacola, this was 19. So I moved back in 95. So this was 1996-ish. Anyway, uh, Leslie, for my reference, she said, hey, Heidi, what do you think about doing going and taking a yoga lesson from Nancy? I said, okay. Went to this woman's house. I remember it was in her dining room. She was a yoga teacher. I don't remember the practice. I just know I loved it. Something about it. I couldn't first put time a, you ever did it. First loved time. It, right? Loved it. So I ended up following Nancy. She used to teach at a couple of places, a gym and um, she also this one location that was a converted a hospital that had been converted into 
uh, restaurants and stuff. So anyway, I would practice with Nancy and didn't know anything other than what Nancy Lanasa um, had taught me. And she was from New York City. Her husband was working in construction, had his own company and moved to Pensacola. So point being that Pensacola was extremely, is extremely fortunate to have someone like Nancy there. And I am forever grateful that that was my experience. It's uh, her yoga that she taught us is called Jiva Mukti Yoga, which started in New York City, which is essentially a vinyasa yoga, but it incorporates power as well. Mm-hmm. So me being athletic, I, I liked that. I liked that feeling. I'm very, my mind is always going everywhere it is the only thing that ever slowed my mind down through physicality. Mm. And so I would do it. I would practice with Nancy and then she left to go back to New York and I missed it. She came back. I started practicing again, but at that time is when I started running. And my friend who was training me said, do you know anybody that teaches yoga that's good here? I'm like, yes, Nancy's teaching at the Avery center. So we surprised Nancy and that she was surprised to see me. I hadn't seen her in years, started practicing and incorporated it into my marathon training. So once a week, and it helped tremendously, it helped me mentally, but it helped to stretch my muscles. It helped to strengthen my muscles. So there were so many things that went along with it. Um, so I just continued practicing and it helped me with my, my training. So when I moved to Nashville, I couldn't find anything again. I was like, ah, it's not Pensacola. Of course it's not, but I was spoiled with, with Nancy, but, um, did did practice a little bit. Do you remember what year you started as far as like, I want to be an instructor? Yes. Um, two, let's see. I started Heroes in 2013. It was probably 2014. I just wanted to give you another numbers question because I know you love them. Well, and you know, and I'm yes. visual. And there I you go. <laughs> I saw you. I saw you work no, it in your head. October 2010. And, but so 2014, it, you've taught yoga and I'm sure. And the reason I, I wanted to ask you about the yoga specifically too, I, I mean, obviously it's a big part of your life. I think it's neat, but... There's a lot of runners, myself included, that absolutely know that being flexible and being loose is an asset as mm-hmm. a runner, but are terrible at it. I'm, I don't stretch hardly at all. If I do stretch, it's light stretching after a run. I know that stretching cold muscles before a run is not a good idea, but right. I just... You know, the couple times that I've done yoga, it's been extremely hard. Like, yes. I mean, I know that, but I feel like there's a, there's at least one vivid memory I have of taking a yoga class, I believe at the YMCA, where it was me and, you know, a lot of 70 and 80 year old women that were doing it together. But when I got done with that class, it was maybe 45 minutes long. Yeah. I felt like running because I was so loose and just relaxed and just like, I felt like I wanted to go get in a run, uh, yep. you know, should have probably stuck with it longer than that. But so anyway, <laughs> it's so never too late. Incorporate that yoga back. So, into that. so with that, you know, with the running and the yoga, I finally found my, my yoga in Nashville and started practicing at, um, at income and station. Unfortunately, yoga source is no longer there. And there are so many great studios now at, they were starting to grow then. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I practice Baptiste and I teach Baptiste power yoga. And mm-hmm. I'll explain that. I did not know what Baptiste was. And I was working with uh, Liz Vile, Liz Porter Vile, who started Small World Yoga, which is a nonprofit yoga studio here in, in Nashville. And uh, not just a studio, but an outreach movement. But I'll go back to that. But Liz and I were working at Comcast together mm-hmm. and we're running together. She was one of the first coaches for the women at the next door. But uh, we would connect on running. And she says, you know, I'm getting my yoga certification and 
I'll be teaching at this studio in Brentwood. They're opening up. Would you come? It's heated yoga. And I had never, I don't know anything about heated yoga. I just said, ooh, I don't do hot yoga. He's <laughs> like, no, not, not for me. No, but I said, I'll do it for you. I, I, will, I will support you. So I went to her class. It was a heated yoga vinyasa. I loved it. It was the most surreal experience. It wasn't the sweat like you're in heated summer running three miles and dying. I'm not dying, but really hot. You have to hydrate. It was a different type of sweat. I just felt energized. It was cleansing. But the athleticism of it with Baptiste Power Yoga is it is it is you're challenging yourself and that's the right. point. But you also listen to yourself. So you learn through it. Um, so it strengthened me. It helped me with my running. Um, so with Liz introducing me to Baptiste Power Yoga, I, I just would go as part of my personal recovery. And it wasn't until I was at Heroes in Recovery that I saw the benefit that running has for individuals in recovery. But what if you can't run physically? What if, what if there's a reason you can't, what if you don't have access to, to safe places to run yoga? You can practice anywhere. All you need is a small space and you can practice. So I thought, you know what, while I love yoga for myself, I never thought of being a teacher. I want to bring yoga to the recovery community as a teacher. I want to provide that. So I went to level one. um, Well, so Baptiste, so to be a certified teacher, you have to have 200 hours of training and that can be accomplished in several ways. You can do two weeks straight or you can do it on weekends. It all just depends. It's, it's a cumulative of hours of training. So I opted with Baptiste Yoga to go to level one, which is 100 hours. I went for a week in Sedona, Arizona, and it's working on yourself because how can I be there for someone else if I'm not working on myself? So yes, it was the physicality of it, but with Baptiste, it is asana, which is practice, meditation, and self-inquiry. And that for me is what is life changing is the self inquiry and working on myself and but turning, through the, turning it internal with, with yes this, how you, on yeah. the mat and off the mat so right. I did level one loved it learned a lot about myself more than I anticipated but uh, waited another year um, for the financial commitment and and time to do level two and that that was October of two thousand eight ah, I think it's eight yes. Yeah. No, what year? 18. 2018. Goodness. Yeah. Good night. 2018. I was going to say, 2014 is I know when it started, so it had to have been after that. I was just going to let you get to is it. Is so it 18? Yes, because, yeah, right. because, and why I know, well, I did level level two, completed my 200 hours, but a week before, the weekend before, I ran Chicago Marathon, um, and gosh, I had not trained well for it, but I finished it because so much of it, as you know, in running is mental. Sure. There is physical, but when you have that mental toughness, it is, you can it, do it. It helps a lot. Yes. Yeah. Which is all again, recovery, yoga, self-inquiry, what you tell yourself, building yourself up, don't tear yourself down. And um, so I, I became a certified teacher and immediately started uh, teaching at Renewal House in Nashville, which is another treatment facility for women who actually are able to go through treatment with two of their children, two children maximum. Oh, wow. um, and so I would go every other week through Small World Yoga and to, and I was doing it. I'm like, this is what it is, and so it has it has been life changing for me, honestly. And 
Um, I know it's a big part of your life. Yeah, it is. And I mean, you, you're probably more yoga involved now than running, right? Yes, I as am. As just, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the, you know, you feel like running, and I know this again because we've talked about it before, but you feel like running is is benefiting you just as much mentally and spiritually as anything that it's doing for you, yes. like the physical results, which are obviously something that comes from it as well, but it's, it's, it's the mental strength and your, you know, inside that yep. it's helping a lot. Yes. Yes. Good, good. All good reasons to do it. Yes. Um, all right. I'm taking yoga. That's it. <laughs> well, let me, uh, if I can go into, sure. I know going back and forth and I throw the names out and stuff, but small world yoga. So Liz is an inspiration and she, after her, her completion of her training, she went to Africa with one of um, the Baptiste uh, teachers who created a program called, or an organization called Africa Yoga Project, where she brought yoga to the poor parts of, of Kenya and gave the people there a trade and Mm -hmm. yoga. They're able to teach yoga and take them out of some really dark spots and, you know, sustenance for themselves. So Liz thought, why can't I do that in Nashville, bring that to the state? So what she has done is created a community where the teachers we bring, where she brings yoga to communities that would not otherwise have access, be it the prisons uh, the next door was the first location um, to treatment facilities, to libraries, because it can be expensive. And, right. and but we all we all can benefit from it. So it's providing that opportunity for making recovery, it mm-hmm, making it accessible. So with that and the great work that she's done and the teachers have done, uh, Music City Yoga Festival is an annual festival that is the main fundraiser to continue the outreach. Um, she was able to open a studio some uh, donor had seen the work she's done and said well let's start this studio you can it's five dollars a class but you're giving back to the community when you take that five dollar class you're giving back to the community by being there for yourself and practicing it makes you available to people in your lives you're contributing to um, a better nashville so it's that that heartfelt philanthropy giving back. And that's what running, I do that with running and fundraising. I do that with yoga and it's both of them together have been in a combination of the two have been an impact on my life changing tremendously. Um, you do a lot to help other people, Heidi. That is uh, that is a super neat thing. I've always known that, but it's, it's neat you. to hear more about it. Um, on running, you know, as far as just, um, you know, the, the Nashville part of it. So what's, what's your, what's your best running in, uh, the best run you can do in Nashville? Where are you running? Who are you running with? What time of day is it? What's the temperature? Like what's a, what's an ideal Nashville run for, for Heidi, who've now been here about 15 years? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many, but I will have to say being, uh, and I've lived in Inglewood, my 14 years and now in East Nashville. So I've always been on the East side. Shelby Bottoms is my love. That's my go-to. If I can't think of where I want to run, I'll go to Shelby Bottoms. Um, but I like that there, I love the eight mile loop. I'll right. never forget. Uh, again, first moving here, looked up the striders. They had a, a nice little drawing of Shelby Bottoms. I'm like, okay, I, I can run there. But when I went down there, like, where are these people getting these miles? I would go around the baseball field and I would have to go loops. So I said, let me sign up for a 5K. They're doing it in Shelby Bottoms. I had no idea the bottoms were back there, that right. the Greenway the, the was back there. starts at the tracks and <laughs> yes. goes back. Yeah. So I went on a run and 
I'm running and they said, okay, at dusk, the gates are closed. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to run fast. How do I? And I'm like, where do I turn around? And I remember when I started, the water was on my right and I was freaking out. I'm looking at my watch, like I'm going to be locked in here. What am I going to do? And then I'm like, wait a minute, the water's to my left. How did that happen? I had no you know, idea. Did done the loop. loop. Yep. So Shelby Bottoms with there. my East Nasty friends and Julie Ispert, uh, or Julie Smith Ispert was the first person I ever ran with and met. And she was an East Nasty of the week at, at one point, but she uh, was a huge impact on my running and, and acclimating here. But I would run with her. That A perfect run would be Shelby Bottoms. And I don't want to leave anybody out, but what point pops out is... Julie Ispert, Sarah Brown, Ramsden now, and we've trained so many times and run in there. Mary, Catherine Rooker, we run on Fridays uh, with um, with each other on Pancake Saturdays from Pancake Pantry. But uh, Lana Olson met her training for East Nasty Women's Half, which we were, uh, we came in second the first year. But um, so I, to me, I just think of them when I'm running. Oh, for sure. But Sarah, East Nasties, point being great. East Nasties, oh, Shelby man. Bottom, yeah, super. spring day, in the morning, and just having fun. Yep. Yep. That's pretty good, Heidi. Let, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Nashville. So now that you've you've been here long enough, so we you said you've been here 15 years, mm-hmm. what to you is the best part about living in, in Music City? So having been raised in L.A., Lower Alabama, because Pensacola is borderline Alabama. I was raised in the South. I was. So I can say I am a Southerner. When I came to Nashville to interview, I had not experienced Southern hospitality on that level ever. So to me, and it's consistent, I just fell in love with Nashville. I just felt right right and has never changed. I would say Nashville is truly Nashville strong. The Southern hospitality is... Um, genuine and authentic and it never changes. So I would say Nashville is just, it's, it's truly true, true Southern hospitality at its finest is Nashville. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so what's now that you've been here long enough, what's something that's very Nashville about you? Gosh, that's so hard. What is so Nash? What is Nashville about me? I love coffee. I love, um, there are so many local coffee joints. I love hot chicken. <laughs> um, Both Nashville staples. Yes. yes. You're a very, you're a very Southern, uh, hospitable person. You do, a, you spend a lot of your time doing things to help and give back to other people. That's, that's the Nashville way. Yeah, thank you. Yes. That's, that's a lot of Nashville about you. Okay. What about this? What's something that is the least Nashville part about you? I, while I will listen to it, I am not, Country music is not my first choice. Oh. I have a deep respect of music, but it's not my first choice to listen to, to run to, or any of that. Gotcha. We'll get to music in just a second. First, if you are mayor mayor of Nashville, Heidi Huerta, what is something you would give uh, give a um, a lot of your time to with uh, with being mayor of Nashville? I would love to see, and I know they've tried it, but and I don't know how it would work, but just the public transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they tried Music City Star, but let me tell you, my days in New York, I lived there eight years, did not own a car until my last year because there was such an incredible train system right. to be able to get back and forth in between different cities. And you liked cities. not owning a car? Like oh, I was, loved it. Yeah. And I even loved commuting into the city because I could sit and read and read and read. I remember my first book, 
when I was interviewing for my first job, I finished The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand because yeah. I had so many train rides that I was able to read that book. Just sit down and let the trains yeah, take just you where settle you need in. to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so music then, you're, you said you're a music fan, right? Yes. Uh, what, so who's some of your favorites? Who's some of your favorite kind of music acts, music bands uh, growing up you know, through the years? Who's some of your favorites? I laugh because anyone who knows me would know what my answer will be first and foremost. Rick Springfield. <laughs> Rick Springfield, yes. yes. From was, the I'm, age of 12, I have loved Rick Springfield. Have uh, He was my first concert in South Florida and when I was, I was 12. Yeah. Timeless to that. I have seen him at Wild Horse Saloon and I actually met him at Wild Horse Saloon. Wow. February 2010. A good friend of mine from Pensacola is in the music festival business, and he was able to connect. Because, and I say this first name basis, Rick uh, would come Rick to you, <laughs> would, yes. yeah. would come to Nashville every Valentine's Day and, and perform at the Wild Horse. Right. So he was coming to town, and my friend in, in from Pensacola, who's in Texas, Jeff, arranged for me to get backstage pass and and get to meet him. So mm-hmm. I thought, great. Watching the concert, this is awesome. And concert, working in media, I've worked in radio. I've been fortunate to be able to see a lot of shows for free. Mm-hmm. And so not that, I just loved watching Rick. So when we're going back, I brought a girlfriend of mine who loved Rick as well, went to meet him. It wasn't until I was in line to meet him backstage that it clicked that, oh my gosh, I am about to meet Rick Springfield. And I am not a starstruck person at all. Right. But you've been a fan of his for a long time. Since right. I was 12 and I was... 40 at the time. So I am standing there. My legs started shaking. My knees, I felt like I was going to just collapse. My hands are shaking. I'm sweating. I'm hyperventilating. I'm one of those people. Like, and I could see him. And so when I went up to him, all I remember is saying, thank you. That was great. I blacked out. I literally blacked out. And I remember him like, what? And then as soon as I walked away and my friend was getting her picture, I'm like, what just happened? What Where just am happened? I? Who am I? Yes. It was, it was wonderful and it was awful because I didn't remember it. Right. But jump to the end of the year, he had written a book and he was at Davis Kid doing a book signing. I'm like, by golly, I am going to do this again. Round two. Here and we so go. I went and I, was, I, was, I had read the book and I felt like... Okay, he's human, right. and and so all, what I did say to him, I remember every bit of it. I did say thank you so much for your music, and then I was fine. There I was go. complete. So After that, that so like all basically that your life's come full circle. You're like I can pretty much drive <laughs> yes, off a bridge on the way much. home from I'm this done. book signing. Life um, is complete. But music for me has always been a joy of. I mean, I remember in college, you know, open up the door and I love dance music and we didn't have that in Pensacola. Jay Giles band, I think is what I used to listen to as well, which is great, right. but not dance music. So they always used to call me music woman and my floor in the dorm because I'd blare that New York 80s, yes. 90s music. So I love every type of music. Um, but I would say now, gosh, I don't even know. I love dance music. I love uh, EDM but I also love like the shins or I, yes, Grace Potter has oh, been right. my highlight in Nashville. I got to see her several times, but at the Ryman, I was front row. Phenomenal. Just, I love that passion and yeah, that power to see it front row. So you just, yep. that's the, that's the only question I was going to ask. If you can go see anybody in concert this Friday night at the Ryman, who would you pick? Probably <laughs> Rick Springfield. I mean, well, you've seen him I've a lot. I've seen him. I'm not, I, would, I don't know who because I've seen so many shows. 
I would say Grace Potter. I did get to see George Campbell. Um, which Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell. Yeah. George. I was going to say, you got to see Glenn. Does Glenn have a brother? Or? <laughs> but Glenn Campbell. And I just, you know, you appreciate talent. Oh, for and, sure. Um, You'd see Grace Potter again, though, if given oh, the... Oh, yeah. hands down. Right. Yeah. I saw Depeche Mode, and I loved them at Ascend. They were great. I've Canada's seen... finest? <laughs> yeah. Yes. There you yeah, go. so... Well, man, too many to say. That's that's a, that's pretty that's pretty um, good variety though. I've I've known you a long time, Heidi, and when you said something earlier about being someone who just kind of is inquisitive and always asks people questions, I've certainly been that way for as long as I can remember, and even to a you know further level. My entire life, I've always assumed that anybody I was talking to was in the exact same mood I was in at that time, <laughs> which probably isn't a huge surprise if you know me all that well. Like I just never think that maybe people aren't just having this, you know, glass half full day that I'm having. And and you have always been such a uh, there's no better way to put it. such a great audience with all the just trash that I have talked to you <laughs> over a decade. You're just such a kind, easy, quick to laugh person. And thank you for being that way, for always making it, me feel like it's okay to just bring this absolutely large amount of BS that I feel like I want to serve up no, when I'm around honestly, people like you. Honestly, thank you who, for always making me laugh and be happy. So There you go. Well, we're, we're, we're in agreement then. But that's <laughs> uh, you're, you're just one of my favorites, Heidi, because you, you're such a fun person to chat with and and you know, never make me feel like, hey, I'm not in the mood that you're in right now, Drew. So thank go you. find no. another audience. <laughs> There's other people here at Three Crow. Walk around, walk around. There's others around here. Uh, so thank you for that. Let's uh, let's jump into running the 615 speed sessions, yes. Heidi. This is quick questions and uh, no right or wrong answer here. Just kind of rapid fire stuff. Let me ask you this. Do you know the fastest mile you have ever run in your life? Fastest mile. It was... When I hurt myself, it was an eight-minute mile. When you when pre I, New York City Marathon, yes, yes there yes. you go. That's that's moving. Well, you can have longer than eight minutes on this if you'd like. But <laughs> just quick answers. Are you ready? Yes. I gotta get this turned over here. Running the six one five speed sessions. Ready? Would you rather run on the trails or roads? Roads. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Early bird. Yes. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Breakfast. Okay. What is your favorite Nashville restaurant? Oh no. Oh. Mas tacos, por favor. Yes, there you go. You had a quick, you thought of it, and then you came right yeah. back to you. Would you rather have coffee, tea, soda, water, or alcohol? Actually, two. Pick the which two. Coffee. Yep. Coffee, tea, coffee, and water. Coffee and water are your two. Uh, dogs or cats? Dogs. For your favorite, who is your favorite dog? Buddy. Little Buddy, who is my a, just chihuahua. a big, big highlight on your Instagram page. He's my soulmate. Yes, he's a good one. <laughs> no one has ever answered cats. Thank you for keeping that going. Uh, are you a talker or a listener? Both. Perfect. Beach or mountains? Beach. Pensacola. Yep. What is something that is not good for you, but you do it anyway? What is something that is not good for me that I do anyway? I eat ice cream a lot. Okay. It's all right. It's nothing to feel bad about. <laughs> Switch that. What is something that is good for you that you want to do more of? Drink more water. More. Gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm literally at the top of the list out of anyone in the United States that needs to drink more water. Like <laughs> I just have to do it. Uh, what is your favorite cookie or candy? Chocolate chip cookies. Yes. To Nestle Toll House homemade. I make them all. Boom. Yeah. Put me on the list. Next batch okay. you serve up. Awesome. You got it. What is your favorite sports team? 
my goodness. Who is my favorite? Nashville Predators. The Predators. All right. That's good. We'll, we'll accept that answer. Oh, uh, let me go back. New York Jets, because that's the first NFL game I'd ever attended in my life. Jets first. J-E-T-S. The Jets, Jets have probably Jets, Jets. not been good since no, that they game haven't. you saw them. No. I don't even know when that was, but they haven't been good since. 91. <laughs> um, where's your favorite or do you have a dream vacation spot? Oh, I want to go to Bora Bora. Okay. I think we've maybe had that before. That Where is, is Bora Bora? That's in the French Polynesian Islands. You're the first person to, you're not the first person to answer that, but you are the first person that knows where it is. So there you go. So you are the closest <laughs> I really so am far. going. At some point in my life, I am going. Perfect. I, I'm, I'm, I think it's happening. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite TV show or movie of all time? Goodwill Hunting. Ooh, that is great. Um, what actress should play you in a movie? Ooh. I don't know. I've been, I couldn't even tell you. Who, you know, you said somebody. Well, some people have always said I look like Annabeth Gish or America Ferrer. Okay. I we'll, think that's her last name. We'll, we'll use those. That's who's playing you in the Heidi Huerta biography. <laughs> uh, what annoys you, Heidi? Oh, gosh. Well, in uh, hypocrisy. People who are hypocrisy. People who are hypocritical. No. No, they who are hypocrites. And yes. Hypocritical. (laughs) I'm so glad I said that. (laughs) But I will say I have, and when you say what gets me, is I just yeah, little things can can get me. I will say like ticking of like little ticks will bother me, or if someone's smacking gum or silly things like that. But overall, is is hypocrisy. I just tell me like it is. Don't. I can tell when you're not being honest. So I'd rather have someone say to me, I don't like you or I don't care for you than talk about me behind Who's my back. going to say that? Oh, Come on. We're, nobody's perfect. So um, I figured out a new one I have the other day. I do not like it when people who do, people do not dress for the, uh, for the obvious weather outside. If <laughs> it is below 32, you do not wear flip-flops. <laughs> If it is 98 in July, you don't wear a toboggan. Like, yeah. you just, like, look outside. Right. What is it? Make your decisions accordingly. That's just new. I just thought of it. I just <laughs> asked myself that question. Awesome. Uh, what is the best way to recover after a long or difficult run? Chocolate milk. Yes. Yes. Oh, man, I totally love chocolate milk. Um, are you afraid of anything? I don't like snakes. No snakes. No, they make my stomach turn. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty good answer. I agree with that. Uh, Would you rather have music or no music while you're running? Music. Yep, watch or no watch? Uh, No watch. No watch, okay. Uh, If you won a million dollars, what is the first thing you would buy? A house. A house for you or for Buddy? Both of us. A big house for you and Buddy. Yes. Yes. Well, Buddy wants you to win that. Did anyone win the Mega Lottery last nope. night? Okay, not. There you go. I didn't play, but no, I heard Let that. it ride again. <laughs> Buddy needs a new home. Um, what makes you happy, Heidi? I am, I am happy in community. I know that sounds maybe cliche, but I realize when I am around others and we're laughing, my heart is just full. I just, I don't know. That's I just love it. Feel, feel the best. Yes, I, I mm-hmm. love that answer. Me too. Um, do you, is there any misconception about you? I'm not always happy. You're not always happy? <laughs> no. Well, um, you're happy a lot though. I can, uh, yes. 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 Next question. Who inspires you? 
Drew Jones. No. Really? <laughs> yes. I mean, you do. You do. Yeah, I love that you're, you're just who you are. And there are times, and going back to being happy, there are times when I've seen you more quiet, which is not normal. And I have felt sad, like, wait, what's wrong? What's, what's happening with Drew? Yeah. Um, well, we're good enough friends. We, I've, I've yeah. talked to you about some, no. some serious stuff in, in life too. So yeah. that's. I will yeah. say my yoga community inspires me as well. Running and yoga, a community in general, but I'm always inspired by runners. And what, I mean, look what you're doing. You're, yeah. You've done so well with Brooks and you have your podcast. So well, yeah. Bo- both of those are things that I loved beforehand. They're just, I just like to talk but to you're people following who are it. up. Yes, you're, that's true. You're, yeah. yeah. It's a neat you're thing creating to, something. to do things that, that you love already. Um, what is your favorite book or a favorite quote? A Wrinkle in Time. Favorite book. Mm-hmm. Favorite quote. Oh, it's really, and oh gosh, to try and translate it, it's Loka Samasta Sukino Bhavantu. And that is, uh, and I don't know, may all beings everywhere, I forget how to say it exactly, and I should have it memorized, but basically it's a, may all, may my acts affect others and may all beings everywhere be better for what I am doing. And I, Sorry, Nancy. Sorry, my yogi friends. I just love Loka Samasta Sukino Bhavantu. Look I just like up. the way it sounds. Look it like, up. Yeah, even without the <laughs> translation, I love it. That's perfect. Um, what is one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Don't hold your personality back. Be who you are. Be, be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your favorite race distance? If you just had to pick a one specific distance to race, what's what's... How far is that? I like half marathons. Yep, me too. Not easy, but not near as uh, painful as a marathon. Yes. no. For me, no pressure to be fast, but I also know that I can improve. I, the 5Ks, I just, I'm only warmed up at the end of a 5K. Right, just <laughs> so. getting started. Uh, what has running taught you, Heidi? What has running taught me that... Again, not to be cliche, but anything is possible. You just need, I will be cliche, put one foot in front of the other, but anything is possible as long as you try. Yeah. Would you rather have a hug, a high five, or a fist bump? A hug. Yes. Last question, Heidi. What is the purpose of life? The purpose of life. I like your quote. That's kind of a purpose of life. Yes, and it is. And that's to, I mean, community and Look, again, I'll say it one more time. Lokasa Masta Suki no Bhavantu is how can my life and what I give in life better someone else's life just by being me? Yeah. Um, and I want to have a positive impact on others because I know others have had impact on me and I want to give that back. Yeah. Well, I know you well enough, Heidi, to say that you do live that kind of life. I mean, Thank I know you. what you do because we're friends and I see you regularly and and know kind of what you're doing with your life. I knew when you were doing Heroes to Recovery, of course, East Nasty, we were around each other a lot, but you you really do. I've said it already. You spend a pretty decent amount of time of your life thinking about what you can do to benefit other people's life. Mark Miller is that way. Like that's I, I recognize that in him early on 
you very much are that way and you you just you give a lot of yourself and that's a that's just such a neat way to be and you're very accepting of of just about anything or anybody so thank, thank you, you for being that way thank you for agreeing to come here and and oh, talk to me and, and let me record it and we're going to put it out there to the masses too if that's okay so they can get yes, some please. Heidi Huerta inspiration but thanks again Heidi for your friendship and just um, you know always being a fun person to chat with and be around. Thank you, Drew.